0: C'est un nouveau programme pour le politique.
1: L'histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimes organisés, d'argent souci. Global corruption. Et la lutte pour la démocratie. Et
2: maintenant,
3: et maintenant, avec vous, votre
0: anfitrión Grégoleur.
1: This time I know our side will win. I'm Greg Oliar.
2: This is Prevail. This is not The Daily Beans. I am not AG. For those of you tuning in expecting to hear Allison, my apologies. I do have good news for you. This is a great show. Will Seabag Montefiore is here. He is an actor and comedian based in London from Leeds, He's in a sketch comedy group called Just These Please, and he has a podcast called Legitimate Likes, where he and his, his friends sort of argue about whether or not um, something that's popular is worth the hype. Um, and basically, it's, as he puts it, it's just a bunch of people arguing. I wanted to have him on because uh, I'm a big fan of his TikTok videos, which are satirical and wonderful, and, and <laughs> totally you should check those out. But, you know, the coronation is tomorrow. And I wanted to uh, to do a little update on what's going on in Britain, because it's so crazy over there. I feel like they have a new prime minister every like couple of days. I, I keep forgetting the name of the new guy, which is not great. So I wanted to just have him on and hear his thoughts and have him walk me through what's going on there, you know, a, a, the situation on the ground in Britain. And I wanted to talk about the coronation a little bit. And also, I wanted to talk about comedy and the state of comedy, because I feel like, it's difficult now in this day and age to be a comedian or to do comedy, right? Just the rules have changed. The the platforms have changed. And he talks about that a little bit, too. Um, and then at the end of the of the interview, we go into succession a little bit. So if you like that show, that's at the very, very tail end. But he has some interesting ideas, too, about acting, uh, which I, I found fascinating. So stick around for that. Okay, at the top of the show, I'm going to do some hot takes. Just a couple of things in the news I just wanted to uh, point out and discuss quickly before we move on to the body of the show. The first thing is the debt ceiling. This is obviously something people are talking about a lot these days because it's uh, now you're suddenly reading these think pieces in very serious magazines about what might happen if we actually default on the debt. Yeah. What would happen is the entire fucking global economy would collapse. So that's bad. And the fact that the Republicans are even entertaining this idea is madness and just is yet another example of how these assholes are not fit to govern. Ted Cruz knows this. They all know this. Kevin McCarthy is so dumb. He might not. But for the most part, they know what they're doing. They think that, as is usually the case, the Democrats will cave because they'll be like, we can't have that happen. Let's give them something that they want. And so far, Biden has shown no indication that he's going to cave, which is good. I'd also like to point out the Constitution, Amendment 14, Section 4, quote, The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. So the word shall, from a legal and grammatical standpoint, means must anything that shall happen, there's no alternative for it not to happen. So it's written in the Constitution that this must happen. If the Republicans in Congress refuse to pay, they're in violation of the law. Okay? That's it. They're violating the law. They claim to love these amendments. They love their Second Amendment. So maybe they need to like, you know, come to Jesus on the 14th. And I hope more people start writing about this and Biden might have to take some drastic unilateral action to shut this shit down, and I hope he does, so that he can show these people that we're playing for keeps here, we're not going to jeopardize the entire financial well-being of the United States and the fucking world so that, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham can cut Social Security. Fuck these people. Just send them back to where they came. They're not serious people. They're not worthy of governing At all. They can't they can't do it. All they can do is uh, make theater and and these performative bullshit rants to appear on Fox News and on uh, the next topic I want to discuss, which is Tucker Carlson. We saw another text of his. He's this guy's got so much dirt on him. I think it's going to keep coming out. I think it's going to trickle out. And just to double down on what I said last week. This guy cannot run for president. There's way too much shit in his closet. There's way too much in there that we don't know. He's a super private guy. He's always been that way despite being in the public eye for such a long time. I do not think that Tucker Carlson wants the world media poking around in his uh, personal life. That's just what I think. So this text, uh, he was talking about a group of Trump guys uh, beating up who he calls an Antifa kid, but it's probably just a protester. And he said, you know, jumping a guy like that is dishonorable. Obviously, this is a quote. It's not how white men fight. Yet suddenly I found myself rooting for the mob against the man, hoping they'd hit him harder, kill him. I really wanted them to hurt the kid. I could taste it. And then he kind of, he uses this as a pivot and saying, whoa, what am I doing? My brain shouldn't go there, et etc." Without having the reflection to think that, you know, he's one of the people responsible for spewing the anger into the discourse that creates those kind of feelings. He's responsible for those guys, you know, directly or indirectly, for those guys beating up that guy, right? That's what Tucker Carlson's whole job is. So that's one thing. The other thing, obviously, super racist. It's not how white men fight. Uh, what does that even mean? Is it not true? I mean, you know. I don't think fighting tactics can be split along racial lines. It's just ridiculous. Just the whole thing is is madness. And the fact that this guy was in a position of power for that long is, uh, it, let's just say we're really grateful that he's out. I don't know what he's going to do next. I'm sure he'll turn up on some stupid platform one of these days, um, depending on what his contract looks like at Fox. But good God, what a horrible human, horrible, horrible person. We're so lucky to be rid of this man. Uh, next topic. Speaking of bad people, uh, Paul Stanley, lead singer of Kiss, the most overrated, I not even the most overrated band. I think possibly the most overrated anything of all time ever. Um, I think that Will uh, Seabag Montefiore should have uh, a whole Kiss segment on Legitimate Likes this podcast. I have never understood Kiss at all. Like they don't have any songs that are good. They've just got that, I want to look and roll all night and party every day. I mean, these guys are like way older than me. Do they get sick of like playing that song? Putting that stupid makeup on? I don't know. The whole thing is very, very weird to me. I've never understood it. I've never, It just. it just boggles the mind. But for these guys who are basically glam rock guys, right? In their makeup and their long hair, to come out against... The parents of trans kids uh, is, is really rich. But, you know, I mean, how much pull does Paul Stanley really have? I mean, personally, I wouldn't even take his advice about when and how and how frequently to rock and roll and party, let alone something important like this. So I hope anybody that was on the fence still about Kiss is now off the fence about Kiss and we can retire talking about them forever. Just they're lucky they made the money they did. Let's just leave it at that. Goodbye. Finally, last topic, the Supreme Court. I wrote about this on my substack, which is called Prevail, on Tuesday, in a piece called Robes Gallery. There is so much graft going on right now on the Supreme Court with these justices, particularly the conservative justices, but you know, probably some of the, the, the not conservative ones, too, take some free trips and stuff like that. Now, it says, the judges, both of the Supreme and Inferior Courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. So that's in the Constitution. That's in Article 3 of the Constitution, okay? Now, a lot of people argue about this whole lifetime appointments thing, but Alexander Hamilton, when he was talking about it in Federalist 78, it's really more about the idea of good behavior and putting that in the Constitution. That was more important to the founders, at least to Hamilton, than anything about term limits. He says, The standard of good behavior for the continuance in office of the judicial magistracy is certainly one of the most valuable of the modern improvements in the practice of government. In a monarchy, it is an excellent barrier to the despotism of the prince. In a republic, it is a no less excellent barrier to the encroachments and oppressions of the representative body. And it is the best expedient which can be devised in any government to secure a steady, upright, and impartial administration of the laws." So if you remember, the founders declared independence from Britain because the king was being a tyrannical dick. So the last thing they wanted was a Supreme Court dominated by George III. Now fast forward 235 years, and that's pretty much what we have. Of the nine Supreme Court justices, at least five carry themselves like potentates, hiding their venality beneath medieval robes, insisting that their shady-as-fuck activities are on the up-and-up, demanding less scrutiny and more respect from the hoi polloi, and exacting tribute in apparent exchange for concessions on the bench. So let's take a quick survey. Clearance Thomas, most egregious offender, Pro Publica was reported extensively on the freeloading judge rinsing the billionaire Harlan Crow, who has financed Thomas's vacations, travel, entertainment, meals, and mother's house? Jeez. Now let's accept for the sake of argument, The assertion that these two guys are actually friends in real life. Given Crow's long history of right-wing political activism, his generosity looks like nothing more than textbook graft. And whether this is technically legal, as Mark Paletta, one of the two other dudes immortalized in that oil painting with Thomas and Crow and Leonard Leo, argues in the National Review, it misses the point. Seriously, though, if we found out tomorrow that Thomas carried Crowe's Amex black card in his wallet and used it to pay for everything from groceries to gas to dry cleaning his judicial robe, would anybody be remotely surprised? Next up, Neil Gorsuch. This pompous blowhard had a piece of real estate on the market for almost two years. No sooner did his confirmation pass the Senate than it sold to the CEO of a ginormous law firm with a robust practice before the high court according to Politico's Heidi Prisbola. Gorsuch pocketed between a quarter and half a mil on the transaction, which took place just nine days after he took the rope. Now, this may be a coincidence. The chief executive in question is a guy named Brian Duffy of Greenberg Traurig. He's never met Gorsuch. He primarily donates to Democrats. The fact that he was going to be a Supreme Court justice was absolutely irrelevant to the purchase of that property the high-powered attorney told Politico. Then he added, It's a wonderful piece of property and we're so glad we bought it. I assume he meant the acres of land and not Gorsuch. John Roberts. As far as we know, the Chief Justice doesn't participate directly in pay-for-play. But Business Insider reported that his wife, Jane Roberts, earned over 10 million bucks in commissions from elite law firms related to her job as a legal recruiter. Now, I don't like when pundits get on their high horse about spouses of high-powered people. You know, we're all individuals. What our husband or wife does for a living really shouldn't come into question. I didn't like it when Hillary Clinton was criticized for stuff Bill did. That drove me nuts. It's the same kind of thing here. And also, uh, Jane Roberts gave up her legal career when her husband became chief justice, in part to avoid the appearance of conflict of interest, which, you know, is noble. That's what you're supposed to do. Even so... If you're on the Supreme Court and your wife's job involves working closely with prominent attorneys who may have business before the court, as the kids say, it's a little sus. Also, call me crazy, but I believe that the spouses of SCOTUS judges should not be involved, even tangentially, in plots to overthrow the government. But, you know, that's just me. Amy Coney Barrett reportedly scored a $2 million advance on her book deal, which is approximately $2 million more than any book deal I've ever been involved in. Now, the way publishing works, she gets to keep every kopeck, even if the book flops. This is perfectly legal. Clarence Thomas did it too back in the day, but the optics are obviously terrible. Brett Kavanaugh, Stephanie Koff, you know, LB, we wrote uh, a five-part series covering Boof's financial statements and everything else over two years ago now. Didn't add up then, doesn't add up now. And I know it's very likely that the cash for the down payment on his Chevy Chase home and his credit card debts, was furnished by his wealthy father, a retired lobbyist. But Kavanaugh never actually said so. Either he didn't want it on the record that he's a Nepo baby, or he didn't want to lie under oath about the true source of the money. We still don't know. And again, it may be legal for us not to know, but who cares? We really should know where all the money's coming from. Sam Alito. All right, fine. There's not been an expose in the press on Sam Alito financial hijinks, so maybe this little misogynistic jerk doesn't live high on the hog like his buddy Clarence Thomas. Maybe he prefers to spend his leisure time complaining about the public not respecting him, concocting tinfoil hat theories about the identity of the SCOTUS leaker, and researching obsolete British witchcraft laws he can work into future decisions stripping women of their rights. I don't know. We'll see. Scalia, by the way, is the guy that, like, invented this or popularized it or was like, hey, dudes, we can just do whatever we want. So they're all kind of copying Scalia. One of the people copying Scalia was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She, you know, was always leading the pack in uh, special interest funded travel. So we have to say that so we don't appear uh, partisan. In theory, Supreme Court justices are selected and confirmed because of their superior judgment. That's literally the job, right? Judgment. They're judges. Unfortunately, and unsurprisingly, lousy ethical judgment has translated to lousy judgment on the bench. Scalia gave us D.C. v. Heller and is therefore directly responsible for the explosion of gun violence since 2008. Roberts gave us Citizens United, opening the floodgates of dark money in politics. And he also seems like he's on a mission to, like, you know, eradicate voting rights. Alito, of course, gave us Dobbs, which will lead directly to more women suffering and dying during pregnancy and childbirth. These are garbage decisions that have led the country down the slippery slope to fascism. Unless something is done about it, and soon, the three awful Trump appointees will only continue to speed that process along. We must expand the court. Anyway, if you want to read the full piece, it's up on my substack, Prevail. Uh, If you want to subscribe to the substack, that would be great. That funds my work here and there. All right. I talked a lot more than I usually do on my podcast up front, but there was a lot more to talk about this week. So without further ado, we will be right back with Will Seabag Montefiore.
0: In the Napolitan community, there's nothing more special than when a member of your family gets made. That's what we call it when you're so good at your job that you can't be fired. It's a big fucking deal. Hi, I'm Nunzio Siccarelli, president of the bank at about a bit. And for once, I ain't trying to sell you something. I'm here today to pay tribute to an individual near and dear to my heart. A wise guy who, this weekend, is gonna be a made man. He comes from one of the biggest and oldest crime syndicates in Europe. They've done extortion, market manipulation, money laundering, human trafficking, slave labor, targeted assassination, and straight up theft on a gigantic fucking scale. No one runs the jewels like these people. And even better, they got the whole world believing they're on the up and up. And yeah. There's been some serious competition lately from the Russians, but you know what? Ivan can buy all the football teams he wants. Don't change the fact that our boy's mug is on the fucking money. You know who I'm talking about. So give it up for my boy Charlie, the fucking king. True, he's a bit old for the job and a little unorthodox. You're supposed to take your gumad out on Friday night, not marry her and make her queen. But even so, the Bank at the Bing sends its sincerest congratulations on his special day. From the Sicarelli family to the house of Saxa, Goldberg, and Gotha. Mazel tov. Long live the king. I hope this doesn't fuck up the thing we got going on in Jersey. Also, tell your brother to give me a call about the Epstein thing. And now, back to the show.
3: We'll see Bag Montefiore. Welcome to Prevail Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. It's nice to talk to you, in, I'd say in person, but via the internet
2: it's as close to in person as as a lot of things get i i think these days um thank you for coming on i you know i'm a fan of your of your comedy you have a uh, i spent the morning uh going through your tiktok channel which i've done before and it's it's just very it's just very funny stuff um, thanks so much and, yeah for people unfamiliar um i think the first thing that i saw that caught my attention on the twitter was y- you did a uh, just a little tiktok about filling out your taxes and you know, mm. it's called like an actor fills out taxes and trying to figure out yeah. like what you can write off and stuff like that. It was just very funny, uh, I thought. And then you you do these political kind of, um, you know, jokey things where you're fake interviewing someone or you're interviewing yourself, you know, in kind of a way. Um, yeah, they're yeah. all very funny. Um, so that prompted me to be like, uh, he's really funny and smart and he's savvy about British politics. And I'm very confused now about the state <laughs> of British politics. <laughs> Rather than have on, you know, someone who who's a a politician or a journalist, I'm going to have him yeah. on because we can at least we can laugh about it. I think it would be more fun, you know. Okay,
3: yeah, I I would uh, I would caveat everything with I probably know enough about British politics to make those minute and a half videos, <laughs> and then as soon as I make them, the facts go out my head. Okay, look, that's fine we're here we'll work it we'll work through it It'll we're gonna work through
2: it I, I i think that the things that i'm gonna ask are remedial enough that you'll you know you'll be able to uh, <laughs> yeah great great you'll be able to keep them you're also before before we uh turn the camera on uh you were telling me about your podcast which is called uh legitimate likes so yeah. uh, <laughs> tell everybody about that because that sounds like really fun
3: well, I, it is fun, but it's it's also another <laughs> another channel where there's no expertise and just idiots sort of talking about stuff. But it's a, a podcast where we take a look at some of humanity's most popular things, like from George Clooney to vegetarianism, um, and decide whether they're worthy of the hype uh their likes. But are they legitimate likes? Uh, we've had some good guests. I'd recommend going and having a listen. Um, before you listen to the rest of this podcast, just turn it off and go on. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't, please. Well, certainly you can pause
2: and then go follow, you know, or or, or hit the little plus sign, you know. Yeah. I I, I think we can we, we can have that, you know, th- that will yeah, work. Yeah, you can do both. What was the verdict on George Clooney, or is it a spoiler to ask?
3: I, I think it is a spoiler, but I, I, I full dis- like this might be a spoiler as well, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't really mean anything. We don't get to get rid of George Clooney, but I think we said that he wasn't a legitimate like. But often, often the decisions are made just to spite each other. As, you know, all good podcasts are. It's a couple of boys and one girl just arguing for an hour. So <laughs> enjoy okay.
2: it. That's fine. I don't know how much arguing we're going to do here. I, I I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how
3: it goes. We'll make the special relationship less special.
2: <laughs> the other uh, TikTok video that you did is you did a rap song to the succession theme coming into the, you know, to the new season, which I thought yes. was, was fantastic. Uh,
3: oh, thanks. This is so- a real ego boost this is great thanks
2: yeah well you know people should get look i want to talk later in the second half of the podcast about comedy in general because i think that you know Mm. we need to laugh now more than ever before and yet it is harder to find things to laugh about i think in some ways like you know yeah
3: i've definitely found that doing more satire stuff because i've been doing the the satirical videos for maybe a year and a half two years and there are just a lot of stories that come to you and and I find it very hard. Some of them I just don't know how to make funny because they're so bleak. Yeah. It's it, it it is a bleak moment, but uh
2: we'll talk about that on the on the second <laughs> half of the podcast. It's yeah. have you found that when when people sit down and talk about comedy and try to analyze it it's like the least funny thing that there is?
3: <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's it's like the biggest turnoff, but it's also exactly all, all I want to do all the time. So <laughs> it's a perfect recipe for a podcast that I would listen to. <laughs> Good. B. Well, okay. Yeah.
2: That's, I mean, if you, you know, that's it. That's where, that's where we're at. So, okay. Before we get started, talk a little bit about yourself and how you got into this, you know, the satirical stuff. You're an actor, you
3: do these comic things, but tell everybody a little bit about who you are. Uh, my name is Will. I was born, in, no, I won't go that far back. <laughs> I grew up in Leeds in the north of England. My dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse and um, moved to London to do acting. And I've been like various jobs working in bars to, you know, to actually have money to do it. Um, it's becoming a more and more a prohibitively expensive thing to do unless you have uh, a wealthy background and a support system. So I've been lucky enough to be able to continue doing it. I've been in London acting and working for about 10 years, done little TV jobs, been murdered in a couple of things, advertised <laughs> Onk Yoga. Yogurt. Um, and yeah, and then just moved into comedy cause it was the thing that I enjoyed creating most on my own when there were no acting jobs. When I first got into it, I was like, I'm going to be a serious actor. I will be the next James Bond and the secretly a part of me that still believes that. Uh, but <laughs> I don't, I mean, it might not happen, but, um, yeah, so I started making stuff just, uh, because that was what I liked creating and then it gained a bit of traction online. And the reason I started doing it online was because of a, a comedian called Munya Chihuahua, who's an English comedian who... I think is the king of online satire. He's amazing, and he spoke on a podcast called "Hip Hop Save My Life" about how to do social media stuff. So I'd recommend listening to that. So that's where we're at now. I, I meet people like you because I make dumb videos on the internet.
2: <laughs> they're very funny. They're very funny, and they're very smart. They're not dumb. I know you say that they're dumb. I don't. Th- I don't think they're dumb. The, the 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 people you're satirizing absolutely are dumb, but I, I think the videos <laughs> themselves are not.
3: So yeah, okay, we're, so we're now- meeting the first cultural difference of uh, a. <laughs> I was recently working in um, in America, and oh, we love to self deprecate. English people will we love to apologize about everything apart from our colonial past. It's amazing.
2: Um. Okay. So you want to be the next James Bond, but who's your go to Bond? Are you a Connery guy, or do you have you know? Is that too
3: too old school for you? I'm I'm a Daniel Craig guy. You know. I okay. So, because I'm, I'm what, I'm uh, 31. So that was the, I remember watching Piers Brosnan and thinking it was all cool and stuff. And then I really liked the, I just loved Casino Royale. I thought it was an amazing film. I loved the, the like different elements of the character that brought in. Generally, I'm not a huge Bond fan. I think it's, I think it's fine. Uh, I think it's all the like culture wars, war stuff that erupts around it really annoys me. But um, yeah, they're yeah. pretty good films. But Daniel Craig is my Bond. But maybe, Craig. maybe because he has blonde hair and I have blonde hair.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm an OJ. I, I, I love the Connery Bond and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, n- never, never will be surpassed or equaled. And. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. I think What is it's, it you like about it? Um, a number of different things. Mostly, I think, because I watched it when I was a kid and it gives me a sense of, uh, you know, security, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that this guy is there. Also, I like that they don't do like crazy things. Like once he's jumping out of airplanes without a parachute out you know it's just like you know there's a you know, in goldfinger when he's locked in the vault at the end with odd job you actually feel genuine terror because the guy's so much bigger and you're like oh my god he's gonna get his ass kicked like physically beaten and you can feel it it being scary that kind of thing just isn't they don't for somebody they can't do it that way anymore and i i wish that
3: you know kind of they would and they've got um, to keep topping it yeah that's why I, i loved that scene in casino royale have you seen it Yes. Big spoiler alerts, everybody, but he, um, <laughs> he drinks some poison, realizes he's been poisoned and has to go to his, like makes himself sick with salt and has to go to his car to try and defib himself. I think that's like real panic and quite yeah. like, there's no jumping out of planes. That's just poison. Yeah, that's no, just that, poison, was, that was a good scene.
2: And that is a good movie. You know, I, I prefer Daniel Craig, not as Bond, weirdly, but I, I like him in everything else somehow. I don't ah, know. Interesting.
3: Interesting. Yeah, I think it is. Nostalgia does a lot of heavy lifting, doesn't it? Because he was just the first time I properly was like, "Whoa, this is a great franchise." Yeah. Whereas P- I, well, Piers Brosnan and I... I was like, "Whoa, Invisible Car." <laughs> well put.
2: Okay, so I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to have you on principally to talk about what's going on in Britain, so that I could understand. Great. Because I, you know, I do this periodically. Uh, Arthur Snell, who is a uh, former British diplomat, came on during the brief Liz Trust
3: era. Yes, yeah, trust yeah. not trust trusts. no there's no trust involved in her and end. kind of <laughs> right.
2: walked me through what was happening with that and, and with um uh quasi Quartang. so i have yes. some idea of that but now we have a new guy um rishi rishi sunak yeah. yeah so I, I i just you know i want you to walk me through who the players are what your impression of them is what functions they serve should we be worried about them as a Americans and b people that don't like fascists? <laughs> uh, I, it seems like no on that count. They're all bankers, I think. The, the, this crew, and yeah. uh, so let's start with that. Like, tell me, what's your impression of the of, of the new prime minister? He's only been there for a short time.
3: Yeah. So to walk walk it back slightly, Liz Truss recently just spoke to the um to a right wing think tank in the U.S. I don't know if you saw this that she spoke to the Heritage Fund. Mm, fun. Basically blamed... I'd never heard of them before, but uh, they don't seem like great people. Um, but she spoke to them and, and basically said that the, the reason for her collapse and, and, you know, why everything fell apart was because of this, like, left-wing woke resistance, the, like, new elite that are holding things back. So probably a good caveat to say that I'm one of those guys, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it wasn't Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng's terrible economic policy that tanked the pound. It was... It was me for eating too much tofu. Um, so yeah, Rishi took over because he was sort of him. I think he and Liz ran against each other and she won. And then she was in there for 44 days. Everything went wrong. And I think that was sort of a, a cursed chalice, a poison chalice, both sure. cursed and poisoned anyway. I don't think it, there was an easy way out of the situation that Boris Johnson had got us into and the 12 years of conservative party rule had got us into you might be hearing a hint of bias in my descriptions here <laughs> so yeah rishi took over and he's um he his personal net worth is more than the personal net worth of king charles so him and his wife are worth 400 million no sorry around 600 million and king charles's personal wealth is around 400 million obviously he has about 12 billion in assets royal assets but the personal right. wealth he, the guy's richer than the king and under his rule i think we're I think generally, we're, we're sort of behind you. We like scapegoating America, being like, look what those crazy idiots are doing. But we're sort of slowly following in this weird tribute act where we're, I think we're moving... We're just moving gradually to the right. And you can see that in the current government and also in the opposition, um, I think, in the Labour Party. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, where we're at. And the major players... We've got Rishi Sunak, who's the Prime Minister... Um, Suella Braverman, who is currently spending her time demonizing immigrants and asylum seekers. And uh, the great country of the the UK have spent 140 million pounds uh, on a scheme to deport asylum seekers and people coming here illegally to Rwanda. And that's been in action for about a year and a bit. And we've sent zero people there. And the European Human Rights Committee were like, I don't think this is okay, (laughs) But Suella thinks it's good. Don't you, isn't
2: there like a labor shortage there though? I mean, isn't it probably, you know, from purely economic standpoint, probably good to have people come into the country to do the jobs that other people don't want to do?
3: Oh, no, they're they're stealing jobs. Didn't you know, Greg? They come and steal jobs. Yeah, yeah. They 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 don't apply for jobs and do them. They steal them from people who uh, who would definitely be doing them otherwise. You know. Okay. Yeah.
2: This is this is the same. You know, the same shit that the Republicans here pull. You know, the immigrants are coming. They're gonna take your job. They're gonna do this. They're gonna do that. Without, you know, factoring in what they mean to the. To a functional economy,
3: yeah, and it's also the enemy of the like this sort of dog whistling stuff. That, that the actual enemy, I think, are people like Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss who are trying to enact economic policy that benefits the rich and doesn't benefit all the the people at the bottom who need help. Like, there's there's a huge rise in people using food banks. A load of different unions are on strike at the moment, and it's it's really bleak. And the people who get demonized are the people who need the help the most. And I don't like that. <laughs> Nor good thing you invited you. I, a comedian on, right? This has been fun. <laughs> now, see, this is good. See, you told me I, I
2: don't know anything. You know everything. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, I just feel also that they're, you know, in addition to being just, you know, in it for money, just completely tone deaf. Like I feel, it, mm. you, like not only do they not understand or sympathize or empathize with with uh, people who need help. I don't think they under they they get it at all. I think that it's just you know I think they believe their bullshit.
3: Do you, do you get that sense, or do you think they're just definitely? I think it, yeah. sorry, I just just burping through my answer there. You can that's fine because I can edit that out. <laughs> no, leave it in. Leave it okay. in. It's more honest. Okay, okay. <laughs> I Good. drank I drank my squash too quickly. Oh, we should talk about squash because I don't think you guys have squash in the UK, but that's we can put a pin in that in America. Sorry, um, squash like
2: what is squash? What is that?
3: So. <laughs> It's, it's not like a uh, plant. That, the thing you eat. No, it's you, not.
2: Are you drinking it.
3: So yeah, yeah. No, I don't blend up uh, <laughs> pumpkins and then. Okay. Uh, okay. No, it's like um, it's a god. I've never had to describe squash. It's sort of a a syrupy, like undiluted syrupy drink. You know, like when you get Coca Cola, they've mixed syrup and carbonated water. Yeah. Imagine just the syrup of that. You buy that, and then you put it in a glass. And you top it up with water. Everybody has squash. In the uk it's a real thing and it doesn't seem to be the same in the u.s i'm 85 percent convinced you're putting me on right now and you were just drinking water but it's okay no <laughs> i can go get a bottle of squash greg i'll take a picture of it
2: i'm kidding i'm kidding sorry where were we where I, I, was... I i i said i think these guys believe the bullshit. i feel yes. like that i think when when liz trust says it's not me, it's not my policies, it's this, that, and the other. I think she genuinely believes that her stupid bullshit policies are are
3: totally great. Yeah, I I agree. And I think the, so there's a a guy called Owen Jones. I don't know if you're familiar with Owen Jones, nope. who is um a journalist and political commentator who I think is I think he's one of the best in the UK at articulating what's going on at the moment. Um and he, he was I'm gonna butcher his words, but he was talking about like since Margaret Thatcher in the 80s, she came in, started privatizing everything, and it was doing sort of, um, like, I think it's similar to Reaganomics. Yeah. I think that would be the equivalent. And I think the political establishment, and I say that being like, you know, I think that phrase has been co-opted by the right a lot. But there is a political establishment in this country where all of these boys went to school with each other. Yeah, and they they climb up the ranks and they go through uni and there's university and college and there's all these like so many of them went to Cambridge and Oxford and went and di- did and went to Eton, which yeah. are the, the earlier schools and stuff. And I do think for a lot of them it's a bit of a game and it's a bit of fun and they're like it's this political power struggle. And I think there is a big gap between you know what it's really like to live in the country and the decisions how they're being affected. So I think they do believe their own bullshit and they just believe. I don't it's really, really hard to work out what they think, actually. Because I think there is a big separation.
2: It's strange because now you have a situation where Brexit happened. It's been mm-hmm. a couple of years now since that happened. It's an unmitigated disaster. I think everyone yes. realizes that it's a it's such a disaster that um on the podcast that interview that I did a couple of weeks ago with Max Fawcett. You know, we were talking about the uh, province of Alberta possibly seceding, and he's like, nobody's doing that because of Brexit. All you have to say is, look what happened over there. Do you want that to happen here and people won't vote for it? So it's almost an object lesson in horror, and yet there hasn't been a Labour prime minister. Like, it's the same – it's like you have to find people that voted for it and believe in it still to run the country. That's what it seems like from from my vantage point. Like, I don't understand – why these fuckers are still in power? They fucked up so badly. Why, like, they're not going to be able to fix it? The people that, right? The people that that started this and and pushed it through. I mean, how
3: can they fix it? Well, there was no. They didn't care. The people who campaigned strongly for it, as soon as it happened, none of them were in charge. None of, none of them were in power. Yeah, and they didn't have to. They were like, and it was all. It was all lies. <laughs> uh, like yeah. this is the the hard thing about it. And yeah, it does seem like. It's still a sticking point for people that we the, we still come back to, but it's we're now in a position where it's imposs It's very very difficult for us to go back to the EU because I think that would mean adopting a new currency, like adopting the euro and and stuff. And so it's it's done. We're gone, and it was a disaster. Yeah. It is a disaster. It continues to be one. Could you repeat the question again? Because I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. I mean, the, the the if you go look at the list of
2: prime ministers, I'm like. There hasn't been a Labour prime minister in quite some time, and it's all yes. conservatives. Theresa May at least seemed like she was vaguely honest and capable, and then because the Brexit thing, she had to leave, and then it's just been a, a like a clown car since then. Yeah, you know, Bo- Boris Johnson is is you know
3: I, I, I don't even know what to say about him at this point. Well, I mean, he's he's just the UK's Trump as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Like he's got a history of bigotry. Uh, yeah. uh, he's got silly hair. And he doesn't seem to care about the most vulnerable in society and like has all these pull quotes. He's all he he has this like air of like bumbling idiot, but actually I think it's much more dark than that. But yeah, it's a complicated one because Labour I, I think the Leave campaign was so well funded, and I don't understand sort of the dark forces at work as to why it was so well funded. And the Remain campaign just didn't have a strong leader. And I think that's partially because the media leans more to the right. And I think it's partially because at the time Jeremy Corbyn was the leader of the Labour Party, and I yeah. joined the Labour Party for for Corbyn. I'd never joined a political party before, but I was really excited about him. I think he he's always had a history of you know not really liking large blocks of power, and it, so for socialist reasons was never too cool about Europe, which put him in a compromised position when it came to leading a campaign to stay in the EU. And I think it just there was no figurehead and no real leader, and so it. It became... Because I I could understand the left-wing arguments to leave, but I was like, on this rhetoric, it's all being done on bigotry. And it also was done on like, people were very disenfranchised and times were really tough for people. So then they were given this option, do you want to remain or do you want to leave? And the the active choice in that is to leave, is to say uh, things aren't good. So it was... I have a load of problems with how it happened, but it happened and yeah, we're still feeling the fallout of it. And it is interesting. Yeah. We haven't really had, I don't know enough about whether we've had any remainers who've been in positions of power. I think Keir Starmer was remain. I think who's the leader of the opposition at the moment. He
2: seems to be the leader of the opposite, but he, he also seems to be somebody that that's largely kind of invisible on from a from a charisma standpoint. That that seems to be the book on him. Um, he's yeah. a an honest guy, and all the you know on paper his resume looks good, but he's not terribly uh, an inspirational figure. And I don't think I could yeah. pick him out of a police lineup. And his name <laughs> sounds like um, an alt right you know Reddit channel. It's 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 like very similar <laughs> daily
3: stormer. I I don't know. It's it's it... so uh, is yeah, there yeah. is there
2: somebody waiting in the wings here? Like
3: no. I don't know, man. I'm I'm pretty worried about the whole thing. I don't know yeah. what we do because Keir is I think what Keir Starmer is and I to say that he's forgettable, I literally walked past him in the street and my partner my, we I was talking to my partner and she went quiet and I was like, Why has she gone quiet? She was mid-sentence and she was like, Will we just walk past Keir Starmer? And I was like, Oh, that guy. <laughs> And I'm the one who does the satire. Like it's terrible. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> this is not I should not be on this platform. Um but <laughs> is there someone waiting in the wings is a really difficult question because Keir Starmer is moving the party to the further to the right, I think. And they they were left of centre, but I don't think they're a party that they're called Labour and I don't see them supporting the workers very well anymore. Yeah. And it seems it seems that his tactic is to appeal to people who, who are, are becoming disenfranchised with the conservatives and everything's moving to the middle. And I have no understanding of history uh, apart from the history of Leeds United in the early 90s. But I think that tends to be what happens when fascist groups and, and fringe groups start getting more popular because everything's moving to the center. So people start looking to the extremes. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true. It makes sense. Now, what do you
2: what do you think of this idea? Like, why can't somebody like Hugh Grant just be prime minister? like why can't he run i mean he played prime minister in love actually and i think you know he's he's uh his politics are are in the right place from what i could tell based entirely on his twitter feed uh you know cuz in america we do that we, we'll run a celebrity we'll run a, yeah, yeah. a a retired football player if we think that it will help you know <laughs> yeah. get into office and and my goodness it it almost did um is it is there like some
3: unwritten rule that that cannot happen there or uh I think for a while there definitely was. And we looked at, we looked over the pond and thought, ha ha, you've got Trump. And, but I think we're like five years behind you. This is, I'm stealing that quote from Ian Hislop, who's the, um, the editor of private eye magazine, which is, I think the best investigative journalism in the, in the UK. He spoke to John Stewart recently on the problem with John Stewart. And, um, he said that we're about five years behind you guys. And, um, So we're about five years behind you guys. And um, basically the the celebrity being, uh, I think Boris Johnson did this of appearing like a a fun character. Yeah. And it it was like, okay. And then I think the cultural low point of probably the 21st century in the UK was when Matt Hancock, the ex health secretary, went on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I don't know if you know the show. No. So it's a, a reality TV show. Where they get a load of celebrities, put them in the jungle in Australia. They have to do loads of tasks like eating bugs and climbing through snake-infested stuff, and they live in a little camp together. And it's just trash TV, whatever. Matt Hancock went on it and was paid, I think, three hundred thousand pounds to to go on it whilst he was still a sitting member of Parliament, and w- was there to sort of. He said he was there to raise awareness about dyslexia. He mentioned it once. Fine, uh, it might have been edited out. I don't know, but it was like the line between those worlds of being a politician, who's like doing a job, however you looked at whatever, but then going on a show to sort of humanize yourself. Right. And to get, and it really worked and it made great TV and, uh, but it was awful. So I think we're getting to that point and I would like it to go the other way. And people like Hugh Grant, or if you look at Eddie Izzard, do you know, Eddie Izzard, the Mm -hmm. comedian? Sure. So, um, who I believe uses she, her pronouns now, she is running as a Labour candidate. Oh, okay. oh good. Okay. So yeah. and I think she's brilliant. I think she's got great thoughts and, and is a real like surge of hope for the Labour Party. But the Labour Party are currently trying to erode trans people's rights. So that is pretty unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, that's what a shit show. Um <laughs> I, I
2: I feel like maybe you'll be Prime Minister because there is, you know, Comic actors that become leaders of the country. We have one. I could Zelensky. do a L- Zelensky. Yeah. 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 You know.
3: It can oh, happen. great! That, yeah, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I'm giving giving hope to all the middle class white boys with double barreled names. We <laughs> we can do it too. <laughs> um. Okay. This is a. I always forget to do this. This is a good time to take
2: a break. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with Will Seabag Montefiore. <laughs> Okay, we're back with Will Seabag woo Woohoo. For the very long break, we were talking about um, you know, Brexit and the and the uh, this this clown car of of conservative <laughs> prime ministers that you've had there. You you yeah. mentioned it up top, you've been in London for what, 10 years now, over 10 years yeah. since been in London, something like that. So I've heard tell of big, you know, London changing, especially post Brexit. So what's the report on the city now? Is it is it true what they say about you know, there's sometimes you go to the store, there's no food on the shelves, like. What's going on? How has it
3: changed in the post-Brexit uh, years? I, I think the supply chain issues that we have tend to affect... Uh, London tends to be a bit of a bubble. And there's an okay. issue, I think, with the country that all the issues are decided in London by people who live in London. And the supply chain issues have been bad. There have been t- like times where you can't get stuff. But it's hit, I think, rural areas more. And often the, the, the main victims of Brexit... Uh, have been the people who in my opinion were sort of tricked into voting for it as some sort of protest vote to make their lives better and like the people of Kent i think overwhelmingly voted to leave and then brexit went through and then suddenly they're building a huge truck depot in the the green land of Kent to be and they were like hold on we don't want this and then there are people on my side of the argument who are like this is what you deserve and i think there's a more nuanced answer to it. So London, it definitely is different. I I think anecdotally, it feels like there's more homelessness. Uh, statistically, there's definitely more people using food banks, as I mentioned before. And it's life is harder and more expensive for people, not people like me who are part of the champagne socialist elite. We're fine. <laughs> so um, but yeah, people who are genuinely struggling, I think it is really hard. And London's a real melting pot. So it's it's quite difficult to be bigoted and horrible when you're surrounded by so many different people but the people at Westminster do they do a good job of it they manage to push through anyway what what about the real estate or
2: the uh, are the the rents like going up is it stable or is that going up
3: as well like what's going on with that that's a good question I think it is it is everything is going up I think is the main thing and like part of that is post-covid part of that is uh I think a lot of knock on effects from like international events. But I think the main thing is 12 to 13 years of conservative rule and austerity and pumping money out of state funded services and stuff. Uh, So things are getting more expensive. It's harder to buy in London. Like if you were to buy like a four bed house, you could be paying up to a million pounds in like a relatively normal area. You go up to where I'm from Leeds. You could do that for, for probably like, Four hundred thousand pounds, I think, maybe less, maybe three hundred. I don't know. I'm not I'm not very a with with the statistics, but it definitely is harder for people who aren't rich, basically.
2: Yeah. yeah. Which is how the which is how these uh, the very rich people want it to be, really. You know, that's, that's, that's... what it,
3: it feels like. And I, I really don't understand it because it doesn't I guess it's just that if you yeah, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, they want to
2: be oligarchs.
3: They look at the, the Russian mm.
2: oligarchs and on some level they wanna be you know, yeah, treated yeah. that way.
3: Like, oh, like we do have a lot of empty yes. property in London too. Uh yeah. like a lot of places bought up by people. Um yeah. that's just left. So that's
2: that's fun. It's like that in New York too. Probably in, in Miami, I think it's like that. You know, the, I, I often wondered when I lived in New York City, like how many of these really nice apartments are just vacant at any given time. Like, yeah, yeah. Nobody's there. You know, you have a bunch of people sharing some two bedroom and on the lower east side and sprawling nice place yeah Um, yeah. you know plenty of room and maybe there's a cat there that has to be fed occasionally and that's and that's it (laughs) um which you know good for the cat but uh so um okay um we've we've been talking about uh britain now this whole time i want to get also your thoughts on what's happening in the u.s because Mm. uh we're in a weird position now too with things um you might have heard like uh not that long ago a couple couple years ago now um a bunch of people tried to overthrow our government. I, you know, um, they were tourists, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they were trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> and uh, we've been sort of reeling since then. But I, what what is your take on things over here? Because I'm curious just to hear,
3: you know, from your vantage point, what you're seeing and what you think. So I recently was in the States and I was absolutely flabbergasted. And I don't use that word lightly by the news that I watched. Because I, you hear a lot about Fox News and stuff, right? And uh, especially with the... The cases that are happening now of all the Dominion, yeah, yeah. I cannot believe that you turn on the TV on a channel that has news in the title and there's people just shouting their opinions at you. Like, and we are the UK is trying to move that way. Rupert Murdoch's tried to set up Talk TV, which doesn't get great views, and GB News is also one of them where they're trying to do this and be deliberately controversial, pedal disinformation and misinformation i don't know the difference between the two uh <laughs> and if i try to say which one is it, i'll end up saying one of them um but i was i was staggered by the media and i think we definitely look i, I said it earlier we definitely look at the us like we're a lot better than you and i think that's because of a, <laughs> a deep-seated sort of english arrogance but also because we we don't have guns. <laughs> um, The country's, our country's way smaller. It's easier to manage a smaller place, I think. And you're quite a young country, I guess. So the whole Trump thing, I think there's been recently more like more fringes of people like being pro-Trump and talking about this like political elite who are like undermining him and getting into the realm of like QAnon conspiracy and stuff but it's still quite i think it's quite minor and that they're, i think they're growing but it's quite minor so i think we look at you like i can't be- i cannot believe that you still have guns like I, I, I understand why but it's in a country that doesn't have them and doesn't has had like four school shootings in its entire history it's if it weren't so tragic it would be hilarious yeah, no, it's 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 well put. Why why do you think we have guns? Because that's another interesting question. Well, it's, it's our fault uh, <laughs> as a country. <laughs> um, and I understand the constitutional right, but I think I think probably it's lobbying, right? It's it's money yeah. and lobbying that keeps it alive. Because I think for the most part, I don't know. I I feel like you would just have regulated them earlier if they were in the uk or a european country i don't i don't know why do you think you do okay no i just i was curious about your
2: take because it again just what you're this the shooting thing drives me crazy on um, multiple levels but one of the reasons why is it makes us look so horrible on the international stage just big picture yeah um we look like like barbarian morons and we can't fucking get our shit together with something super basic like we don't need to have a you don't need to have a weapon of war. You know, if it, it's one thing to have yeah, a, yeah. you have a shotgun. You live on a prairie. You have to shoot a coyote or something. But the, you, you don't need an AR-15 for that. We had yeah. them banned. There was a ban on them, and all the shooting statistics went down. Then Whoa. they allowed it to lapse, and now it's back up again. It's this is yeah. no,
3: there's no question I, about it. But I guess your country was built like with the help of well, with mostly England was built on, my understanding anyway, built on freedom. Uh, and freedom, I think, means a murdering an indigenous population and taking over. But B means you have the right to do whatever you want, right? So like and the guns were an inherent part of that when there was when the founding fathers made it. It was like we need these guns to protect protect ourselves from international powers that will take over. Totally get it. Need you need the ability to become a militia. I would argue you don't need that anymore. I think you're the fine.
2: Yeah. I think I think I think they needed the the guns also because of the you know, the um native populations that we were in the in the process of of pushing out and 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 killing off. I think you know that was part of it, too.
3: and yes. um you know, a nice noble reason,
2: yeah. and this whole slave thing, you know, which we also don't like to talk about, yeah, yeah the, the dual sins of of my country, but at, at this stage of the game, I think it's just all it's. Russia infiltrated the NRA and and they you know they did Torsion and and Butina are in there they're influencing policy every time there's a shooting it makes Putin look better because Russia has very strict gun control laws and we don't Whoa. so he can say hey this doesn't happen here
3: you know yeah. look at these american yeah, yeah. jerks shooting each other like idiots yeah. and um, I think it's important on the i think we on the the slavery front the the UK i think a lot of the rhetoric that gets bandied about when issues of race come up uh, in this country is that the UK outlawed slavery and you know stopped it and helped like fight against it, and that is a it's a huge whitewashing of history. It's like we are. We were so culpable and so responsible, even when we had outlawed it in our country. We sent very small fleets to try and police it. Like we didn't care, and it was built on our country was built on slave money as well. So I think we—that's another level where we scapegoat you guys and go, "God, they're bad." But our our racism is just hidden under layers of fake politeness. You guys just shout it louder. I think. <laughs> so I don't think we're. I think we like to think we're better than the states, and I think it's. I think it's worryingly similar. We haven't had an insurrection yet, but we, we have had large protests for horrible things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is true. So, okay, so
2: talking about insur- insurrections and changes in government, um, this is a good time to talk about the monarchy, uh, because uh, <laughs> we're recording this on the 15th of April, but I'm going to run it the day before the coronation of uh, Charles III. And, oh, um, very nice. Yeah. He um, obviously did not read very much about Charles the and the Second, who were not really terribly great. Uh, did not have great, you know, runs of things <laughs> as monarchs. But maybe third time is a charm. It's going to be interesting. It's the first coronation since what fifty three, something like that. Yeah. So anybody even involved with the, um, you know, with the first one is is either dead or super super old. So it, it'll be as a as a a bit of pomp. It'll be interesting, I think, to watch just as a what's the word pageantry from 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 that yeah. angle of things. But I mean, how powerful can he ever be at this point? And uh, and if he's not, what's the point? I mean, what what what's your take on all of this? I right, let maybe we should start with 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 the queen. Uh, what was you because we were talking about this before we turned the camera on? Yeah, you know, she dies. What's during the Liz Truss era, the brief Liz Truss era? Uh, what was your take, and what were you? Seeing? Was it her fault? We don't know that it wasn't her fault. <laughs> the lettuce is dead. The queen is <coughs> dead. <It's...
3: laughs>
2: what yeah, was going it was, I mean, on there?
3: The queen passing away was is a really interesting media storm. Obviously, a very like human and personal tragedy for the people who knew her. Uh, but in terms of the media storm and. Like the the response publicly, I was I was quite surprised with, especially in like the circles I run in. Because s- surprise, surprise, they tend to be lefty liberal sort of beta male circles uh, where we all hug each other and talk about our feelings. Um, but I was very surprised how many people was would speak about like they often they'd post "Thank you for your service, mom." And like I think there's something inherently quite funny about sharing grief on on. Instagram and Twitter. I like. I think it's a, a a genuine thing to do. I think it's really nice and helpful for people. I've done it. Like, I think it's lovely. But I think also it's very very funny when someone, because t- she's not going to see it, lads. She's not going to see it. Like, and I, I understand you're aligning yourself, and it's a moment to all come together. But I think there are more important moments to come together. And I was so surprised. I don't know if you heard about the q or if the American translation would be the line which was the queue to see her lying in state. Did you hear about it? Um just briefly, so tell us about it. 250,000 people lined up in like a 3 or 4 mile long queue, maybe longer, all across London that was all policed and cordoned off to go and see the queen's body lying in state. And so many so many people went and lined up to see the monarch. So there is still a huge amount of like you know, it's, she's a national symbol. We still have the monarchy. It means a lot to people. But I couldn't believe that people would queue for like legit 20 hours to see the queen.
1: Well,
2: she's been queen a long time. I don't know. Uh, yeah, on the has. other hand,
3: she has. it's probably like,
2: you know, you can go next day. It's not going anywhere. I, the, <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Do you think it's because of her? Do you think it's because she's the queen or do you think it's because of her? Because my take is that really mm. her personally invested so you know there, there's such a the, the 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 national love seems to be more for her than for the institution
3: yeah she seemed to be she was very popular and like i think was she was she was good she had a good team around her i think who were like good at you know she had a good sense of humor she seemed warm and she seemed nice i think she arrived, reminded a lot of english people of their grandparents mm-hmm. and there is something about having a Cultural figure around for that amount of time, and then they leave. That you know, it's the the ending of an era and stuff. But fundamentally, for the people who didn't know, it, I I don't understand why. It, the, there's other stuff happening yeah. <laughs> that I think was more important. And it, you know, I, a death is always sad. I think it should always be mourned. And like, I I wasn't too stoked about the jokes about it because I was like, ah, somebody died. But yeah. also, the outpouring of grief from people who didn't seem to. But then it's hard. You can't judge someone's grief. So I don't know. I I think she was very, very popular. People seemed to like her and even people who didn't really care about the monarchy were like, ah, she was a good one, you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: It was on TV in the the US too. It was on TV. It was on the news stations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for a while it was you know, they knew it was going to happen. They rolled it all out. It was, you know, and she's not our, you know, we have not had a a British monarch in quite some time in this country. So, um, Mm. you know, um, it was interesting to see how that happened. And now we have, you know, we have Charles and it's interesting that, that the queen comes in, uh, in the last days of her watch, Brexit happens, which shrinks the size of the territory. So Charles sort of mm-hmm. reminds me of the Byzantine emperors who had to, after the fall of, of Constantinople, who had to repair to Trebizond, uh, you know, with this tiny little rump state and rule from there. So, uh, the lasting image I have of 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 him was um, when he was sneering at his underling because the inkwell wasn't properly in the right spot on the desk. Yeah, uh, yeah, what what is what is the what is your take on him, and what is the 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 popular temperature
3: of him right now? That's a really good question. I don't I don't quite know. I think, to be honest, m- most people are just most of the rhetoric around the coronation is is this horrible culture war that's cropped up and been generated and stoked about Meghan markle yes. which is f- just undeniably racist yeah like the, there are news stories where you see kate middleton who's uh william's wife uh and she'll be like oh look how delicately kate ate this peanut butter sandwich and then if megan ate a peanut butter sandwich they'll be like oh i guess she hates kids with peanut allergies and wants them all to die like there are it's stark and brazen so that's most of the the conversation that is around it because charles seems like i don't think he'll ever be as popular as the queen because she came you know she was a post-war monarch and uh, you know was was very good at talking to people and so he seems fine but he's a a bit of a weirdo. but he does some. He does some good. Like he's very pro the environment. Like his car. I don't know if you know this. His car is run on wine and cheese, which is probably the most English thing that could exist. But they get the waste products from wine and cheese making, turn it into biofuel, and that's what how he powers his cars.
2: I feel like that's just going to be an invitation for him to one day invade
3: France. You know. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my car's not running, guys. So I, I need to come in. Yeah. i'm retake I normandy <laughs> yeah i don't know if it will ever be as popular but most of the i don't really know how people feel about it i think we don't people in scotland are like we don't we don't give a shit we haven't voted for this guy you know there's there's definitely yeah. an air of like an unelected official why do we have an unelected head of state but um i think in terms of the people who like the monarchy i, I don't know how they feel towards charles and i think more of it is about harry and Meghan. yeah interesting okay Thanks for uh I I don't know if I'm going to tune in or not.
2: I mean I'm kind of curious but you know I don't like monarchies and I, um you know in The Naked Gun the movie The Naked Gun Leslie <laughs> Nielsen which is about the Queen of England comes to Los Angeles and he says uh at the press conference um you know as ridiculous as the idea of having a queen seems to you and me as Americans we must be considerate and gracious hosts and I feel like that's that sums up exactly my uh okay it's fine to uh to do this uh if we have to um now Mm. i was going to ask you and i'm not going to because i know the answer if you were related to simon c bag montefiore who is a a historian um and the answer is distantly and 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 uh therefore it's not
3: terribly relevant uh yeah we follow each other on twitter but that's about it
2: okay uh because i i looked at his page and it said that he was friends you know he's friends with with charles
3: so i was like oh okay yeah it's an interesting part of the family and i i don't know i <laughs> don't know how much my talking on podcasts about how i'm not really a huge fan of the monarchy is gonna help the family reunions but look we'll find out <laughs> but um yeah it's a big it's a huge family the seabag Bonnet fury family so someone with that name will be distantly related to me somehow yeah um
2: it's probably the same with me. Oliar is also not a mm. very typical name,
3: you know. Somebody's named yeah. that somewhere. So I would like to say, if if any fans of Simon are listening, uh, I'm not speaking on behalf of the family, uh, nor indeed him, but he's, he's a great, a great writer. So you should read yeah. his books. Yeah, he is. I read the Jerusalem one; it's good.
2: Mm. Um, okay, so now uh, for the for the last part of the of the uh, of the show here, I want to talk about comedy and the state of comedy uh, because great. I feel like. You know, it's it's changed. Like my own relationship to it has changed. I mean, I try to do on my podcast and on the other things. I try to interject humor with everything, even when I'm writing about super serious things. I try to at least throw in a couple of pop culture references to make everybody laugh and get through the yeah. horror of of it all. <laughs> but I've found like there's certain types of comedy that don't play anymore. Like you know, there used to be this thing on the internet where you would pretend to be somebody else and da 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 da. And I feel like that that's just it wasn't terribly funny ever, but it's certainly not <laughs> funny now when all of my my brain is being taxed constantly having to sift out, you know, what's real and what's not and what's fake news and what's disinformation. Like, I don't want to yeah. I don't want some fucking quote unquote funny person to uh, try try to fool me and, and, and this and that. Um, <laughs> uh, what's your take on it? How have you I don't know. You know what I'm trying to get at here. I'm, I'm just trying to. Understand how it's evolved, I guess,
3: yeah, I think as a to speak as a quote unquote funny person um <laughs> i I think it's really moved the pandemic changed it a lot in terms of the form through which we consume stuff. It also really created a pipeline for um comedians to gain following and you know stuff like that because people are on their phones more um I think it's like there's definitely an appetite for satire and there's definitely an appetite for like, there's an appetite for silliness and surrealness, but as I mostly do satire and stuff that, that's sort of where I, where I feel most comfortable talking. I I think uh, for me anyway, when I'm making stuff, it really helps me understand something (laughs) and like trying to construct a joke that makes sense and is funny and doesn't, uh, you know, create disinformation about a subject I think is really helpful. And a lot of the time when I'm, I, I will see news stories from comedians, like there's comedians in the UK, if anyone wants to learn more about politics through comedy, there's a comedian called Rosie Holt, um, who basically pretends to be an MP and people keep thinking she's an MP. Uh, there's Matt Green, who does lots of fake briefings. There's Larry and Paul, um, who also do stuff like that. And so people like that generate, Comedic content that is sort of like sometimes hyper realistic because you think, oh, is that actually really a person? And it exposes something that helps you understand it, which is (laughs) doesn't sound funny at all. But (laughs) when you explain it, but it's very funny. So, yeah, I think I think also our attention spans have changed like a lot. And and I'm currently working on like moving a lot of my stuff from online to off offline and doing it in, in person i like that in person became offline i said that first because i'm so on the on the internet but it is interesting like you know there's been more more reports of <laughs> reports there's been more people talking about people at comedy shows having just worse behavior like being on their phones heckling more joining in and i think that's a post-pandemic thing of like not knowing where the line is and also being on our phones all the time and we're always in this private space and the private and public space has sort of changed i don't know I don't think I've answered your question at all, there, Greg.
2: No, I think the, these are these are good thoughts. I think I, the point about the pandemic is is right. I think also the, the the social media and the way that is during the pandemic, like everybody, you know, if somebody puts out a tweet or you you put out something on on uh, TikTok or whatever and you post it on Twitter, everybody with a Twitter account can go reply to it and say whatever the hell they want. I think, yeah. you know, now in the new post pandemic offline live performance. Uh, maybe
3: they feel they can continue to do that even though they should just shut the fuck up you know yeah because it's it's the line has been bled you feel like you know this person you follow them online and you go like well i comment so so it's a strange one and i think there's like there's this big thing that people love talking about about how you can't you can't say anything these days uh which people tend to do when they're hosting their million pound netflix specials (laughs) Um, and I, i don't i really don't think that's true i think there are more consequences and stuff and But I I think, I don't know, I I think comedy is always evolving and getting better and things are changing and the use of tech and the use of like working with video and stuff and that, you know, developing into the online, from the online world into real life. I I think it's all really exciting and cool and you're able to discover more comedians. Yeah. Like I've discovered a load of of American comedians just by scrolling through TikTok and stuff and being like, whoa, they're so funny and inspiring. So I like it. Yeah, you're right about how
2: about it evolving. I feel like comedy, generally speaking, if you go back centuries, doesn't age as well as other art forms. Like it's there's an <laughs> immediacy to it um, or an urgency even that makes it funny in the moment when it isn't quite as uh, like even like not to get dorky, but even the Shakespeare
3: stuff, like you go back and you're like, oh, people found this very funny. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, it
2: ain't totally. funny now.
3: <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, It's like there's the bit, the, to get even more dorky so there's a bit in hamlet where hamlet is giving his advice to the players yeah uh, so he's saying this is how you act right and to us it's like oh that's shakespeare telling people how to act no it's uh, an in joke that because they all worked as a company of actors so in that speech he says basically says don't improvise too much and learn your lines <laughs> and that was a direct joke to the person who usually played the clown character that they were talking to didn't learn their lines enough and always improvised so that contextually would have been a joke for everyone to laugh at and it's funny and now we're so far gone that it's hard to then pass that because you need so much contextual information to understand a joke and it's like with my videos you go back and watch some of my videos some of them stand alone you understand them some of them it's like what what is this in response to (laughs) Because yeah. you have to have the immediate... Some, some of my friends will watch my videos first and then Google the news story and then go, oh, I get it now.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that That's the way it goes. It's uh. So when I encounter something that's really old and still funny, like I find Gilbert and Sullivan to me, like Pirates of Penzance, yeah, I think yeah. is the funniest thing ever. And it's still... Yeah. Fun- it was written in 1865 or something and it's Jeez. still fucking really funny. That was the uh, first
3: thing I think I remember seeing... Uh, at the West Yorkshire Playhouse, which is now the Leeds Playhouse, I remember seeing that and being like, "Whoa! What if I could be one of them?" <laughs> like it was a real defining moment for me. So I agree with you about Pirates of Penzance. Yeah. Were you ever in it? You could be. You could be the pirate king. You'd be a good pirate no, king. I think. I've never yeah. been in it. But it. Hear, hear! This industry. Cast me as the pirate <laughs> king. Yeah, I was the major
2: general in high school.
3: I oh was. yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can you give us a rendition? <laughs> Gives a line or two. You don't
2: want that. Uh, <laughs> um,
3: I think everyone wants that. I'm the very model
2: of modernity general. We have permission to vegetable animal and mineral. I know the kings of England. i quite quote that that's historical. Marathon to Waterloo and auto-categorical. That's beautiful. Beautiful. I didn't warm up, you know. But the, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, look. What's great about the end of, of of that is that they've captured all these pirates and they're all going to go to jail and then they realize that they're actually noblemen. So they get <laughs> and, and because they love the queen, they just set them all free. because Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the theme there is... You know, there's two, two kinds of law. And if you're rich and powerful, you just can get away with being pirate. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it is great. It, it, like like the Abbott and Costello who's on first sketch. Yeah. That will always be <laughs> hilarious. Like the stuff, and then there'll be stuff that they do that is contextual that you have to know what was happening at the time.
2: Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot depends on that. Um, yeah. So now getting away from comedy, um, succession let's we should end with succession oh uh, yeah 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 now we're not uh, by the time this runs it will be you know three weeks or whatever it is in the future so we've just watched uh the episode called connor's wedding um mm. so anybody that, that isn't caught up and is going to be caught up oh, now's yeah. the time to stop because we might yes. spoil it. Yeah. turn turn this off turn it off uh but by the time this comes out everybody really should have seen this and if they haven't they probably they probably don't care you did a wonderful TikTok of that's the rap song to the the succession theme so i wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on that episode because i'm watching it um thinking hey this is going to be a fun one it's connor's wedding it's gonna be funny i could kind of relax and after about 10 minutes i realize not only is this an important episode this is one of those episodes that people are going to be talking about like forever yeah yeah so what was your thoughts on
3: it amazing it's this is gonna like it's gonna be a relatively boring thing to listen to because it's just gonna be two guys going like whoa how cool is that (laughs) (laughs) um but they they filmed some of it in uh, they filmed it all like all the coverage and then the big big scene of you know when they're talking to logan on on the the plane they filmed that ongoing they did the whole thing ongoing in a 27 minute long take and they film on film so they had to keep replacing the film and they had cameras hidden around so apparently as an actor for the the actors it was a really they basically did a short play um whilst doing it which i think is like i think part it's just so brilliant so brilliantly acted i love that logan dies off screen i think that's such a brave choice yeah i think it's so yeah so impressive
2: yeah it was really good.
3: And the acting, yeah. it's interesting about that,
2: about having it be a play, because I feel like all of the actors, all of them, without exception, were like totally on their A game oh you know, my God. in that episode. Like there wasn't a, everybody rose to the occasion and got like, you know, they got really great performances out of everybody. I mean, they're always yeah. good,
3: but. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but they were particularly exceptional. Also, I, I, I've i wanted to, since we started the podcast, I've wanted to go, oh, hi, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I should have started with that to be fair, but we weren't on succession at the beginning. He does There's a great a American of, accent, right?
2: That that was Matthew, he, he, Matthew does, McFadden, he. does Matthew McFadden. Yeah, you you sounded you sounded just like him. I, that was that was good. That was That's my good... micro impression. It's all I can do. Yeah. My <laughs> wife and I do do this thing where we 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 debuted it just driving like home from dinner somewhere, where you know it was like Kendall and Shiv, and I'm just like, "Is it okay? It's okay. Are you okay? <laughs> Are we good? It's good." It's good, and then she would say the same thing, and we were <laughs> laughing so hard. And then we record; I recorded uh, it
3: to do on the thing, but the the driving version was better than the than no. The- that was that was brilliant. That was really good. <laughs> my actually, my I think my one issue with Succession is okay. I, I'm not a huge fan of the uh, by not a huge fan. Actually, I mean it's complete macho bullshit and needs to die a fucking death um, of the method acting approach. I think it's so self indulgent. And so, like, it creates this meta narrative around a story. It's like, whoa! And I'm much more, you know, adhere to the Brian Cox school of acting, which is get the fucking job done sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, I saw a great tweet about this when Jeremy Strong talked about like how you know he's really into the character and like he channels all this stuff. And someone was like, as long as he's nice to the runners, I don't give a shit. <laughs> because I think that's a lot of the time that doesn't get spoken about on when we talk about things like Succession. Like The huge team that's behind making that happen, the camera operators, the gaffers, the sparks, like there are so many, the catering departments, so many people who have to do a top quality job, and then we're like, whoa, but he pretended he was the character the whole time. It's like, oh, g- who gives a shit? <laughs> was he in character when he was pooping? Was he? <laughs> you don't know. But he does a great job. He's an incredible actor. The whole thing is amazing, but that I, I just want that narrative to die because you don't, there, there aren't, as far as I know, there aren't any female method actors. They just do the job. <laughs> right. It is very me, me, me.
2: For, yeah. yeah. I You know, the Laurence Olivier story, right? Where the, I'm going to, I'm going to tell it anyway, even if you know it, because people listening Great. might not know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. when, when Dustin Hoffman was filming Marathon Man, um, they had to do a scene where he was, supposed to be tired from running or something so he like stayed up all night and he did all this sort of methody things and he comes in and he does the scene and Olivier is just like why don't you try acting it's easier
3: (laughs) yeah and like I look I'm not denying that it 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 breeds results like people do a good job but it's like dude did we really give a shit that Leonardo DiCaprio actually ate a liver like did that change our experience or did it just provide a newspaper headline it's such bullshit it's like, I always said this about, was it Daniel Day Lewis who played Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. If he was in, right, if he's on set and there's a fire and the fire alarm goes off and everyone evacuates, he should not, he should die in the fire because he wouldn't know what a fucking fire alarm was. Because wh- where does it, where does the line end? When do you pick up your phone? It's just like, and I'm I'm not trying to get rid of like the the cosmic beauty of acting and art, but like there's you are ju- you're doing a job. Do the job. Stop stop telling me about how good you are at your job.
2: Yeah, the results, you know. Yeah, I I,
3: I think someone might be bitter that he wasn't cast in Succession, Greg. I <laughs> think <laughs> that's what's happening here. <laughs> Oh
2: my. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see how it's gonna how it's gonna wrap up. And uh I'm glad also yeah. that that this is the last season. I'm glad they're not stretching it out. Too many yeah. shows do that where they, they stretch it out. There's two up two seasons too many and it's it's annoying. Yeah, yeah. So uh,
3: I think they're probably gonna stick the landing and this is gonna go down as one of the great, you know, one of the great yeah. series. I mean so, so gl- brilliantly written. Like all the writers who work on that have just I yeah. just done such an exceptional job. And also keeping the secret that Logan died.
2: Yeah,
3: very. Because even Brian Cox was interviewed, and they're like, "How does it end well for your character?" And he said something like, "I think he gets everything he needs." Like, <laughs> a- amazing, amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, super good, super good. I'm excited for it. Excited. it good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> um, wait, do the Tom voice again. I like the Tom voice.
3: Oh, hi, hi Greg. I lost <laughs> it. I lost it. Um, Shiv think it's very hard to do it for more than a second uh that's good it's really good very very well done you should be an actor
2: um (laughs) uh okay so where can we find you your twitter handle
3: is what is your twitter handle at w s e b a g w c bag okay i was Um, like oh it's so cool it's not taken wc bag and i was like that is an awful sound wc bag (laughs) no but it's short you know it's Mercifully and your tiktok sure. is the same it's the same i thing. think so yeah yeah i'm bigger on twitter um but you know you could change that listeners you you could <laughs> you could shift the balance yeah i'm at wc bag uh you can follow me and that'd be great i've got legitimate likes as the podcast i always have a sketch comedy group called just these please we do like uh non-satirical sketch comedy and uh yeah it's great say hi why not it's good.
2: Um, thank you so much for coming on. It was a lot of fun to talk to you and uh, have fun at the coronation. You
3: know, I I will do. I'll be there on the front lines. You know, I definitely will be with my marmalade sandwiches. Did you hear about that with the, when the Queen died with the marmalade sandwiches? No. This might be a tangent that doesn't make it in, but the um Padding the the Queen did a a little short like skit okay. with Paddington Bear. The yeah and so basically when when the queen died people were leaving flowers and tributes the uh the the royal family had to put out a statement saying thank you so much for all the tributes please stop leaving marmalade sandwiches <laughs> because like you know birds were eating them also cost of living crisis like don't just waste food <laughs> but it was absolutely insane that people were like the idea that someone was home and saw the queen died and thought, I know what I have to do and made a sandwich for, for a dead queen, took it into London, queued up for a while and placed it on the, on the sidewalk. I, we all grieve in different ways, I suppose, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah, uh... that's actually an English tradition. We always, if you ever have an English friend die, always bring a marmalade sandwich. Yeah. it's just... It's very rude not to. <laughs> oh, God. We'll see back. Barton Fiore, thank you so much for joining me. This oh, is a lot. Of fun. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. It was an absolute pleasure.
2: The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa, Serena Zabrisky, Marie Kost, and Martha Acuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John, Tally Briggs, Michelle Cantor, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliard.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. And until next time, we shall prevail.